the Point Your Toes, the adventures of an NYC dance teacher. I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. And I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. This podcast is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We'll be sharing our experiences and all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. That being said, let's get into today's topic. But before we do, we have special guests with us this week. They are. So tell them all about you. All about yourselves. I guess I'll go first because Rachel's pointing at me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my name is Jessie. I met Danielle through a mutual uh, performing artist friend. So I'm a fellow dancer, fellow dance teacher, um, but I also do work as a personal trainer and nutritionist. Um, Mm. So we're going to be talking today about why that is so important to dancers and cross training, nutrition, all that, all that fun stuff. And then we have my podcast co-host, Rachel. And I am Rachel Duvall. And like Jesse just said, I am her podcast co-host. We've been colleagues mm-hmm. in the past as well. We met in the fitness industry. Um, I am a personal trainer and holistic health coach. Um, background, long time. I love it. Yes. Whole body approach we're taking here. That's how you got to do it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Really. Been in the industry for almost a decade and... Uh, really what Jesse and I want to do is, um, you know, debunk a lot of things and just, uh, work on giving you the information that is essential and sifting through all the misinformation that's out there, whether it be in health and fitness, nutrition, good stuff. I love that because one of the big things I find that me and Danielle end up doing on our podcast a lot of time is just being like this thing that they've always told you, it's not true. Or, you know, like you have to question the training that you receive because not everyone is training you properly. Yeah. Very. And we wanted to, we wanted to have Rachel and Jesse come chat because I feel like like Tony and I, like you will, you and I will always talk about how important like mental and physical and emotional health is, especially being a dancer and an artist and especially living in a big city like New York city and trying to deal with auditions and jobs and, how to navigate everything but um you know we both have limited training in that what we got you know in our BA and BFA programs in college so we want to bring some people on who are actually have multiple degrees in this stuff and do it for a living and really know what they're talking about so yeah so today's topic is literally we want to talk about mental and physical health and often how they can affect each other Um, And the reason why we kind of uh, picked this topic for this week is literally like what's going on in the world. There are still massive protests and uh, lots of unrest here in the United States for our out-of-the-country listeners. And we are also still dealing with a global pandemic. And these Mm -hmm. two things alone are enough to trigger a lot of mental and physical stress and issues um, for everyone. And also, if we were to just simply hold those two things aside... We as performers go under a lot of stress constantly, you know, like we got three choreographers on the panel today. Like we know the idea of like, it's time, I got to get a show up and I have four hours and a toothpick to do it, you know? So mm-hmm. that stress being there and how that affects the body is really important. So I think I first want to start with like how the physical affects the mental. So like maybe Rachel and Jesse, you can kind of give us just like a general rundown of just like how the physical, how the bodies wellness can trickle into affecting the mental wellness of people just in general. 
Well, this is something that we've talked about in previous episodes of our own podcast and about how overall health goes beyond aesthetics, which I know that really speaks to dancers because we spend all day looking in the mirror, um, judging our own aesthetics, having our aesthetics critiqued, having to look a certain way. And all of that really starts to affect us big time mentally. And then that affects our stress levels. It affects our emotions, how we see ourselves, our self-talk. It affects then our nutrition and how we feed ourselves, which is often underfeeding because we think that's what we have to do to achieve the look that we think we have to look, but then our performance starts being affected in a negative way. And it's just this vicious cycle. So we've done an episode on um, the aspects of health, which are, you know, your physical, mental, social, spiritual, and um, emotional health. And they all tie together. And just like you just said, Tony, they do have a trickle effect. And it's really important to recognize them especially like emotional and psychological because they can be smushed together, but they really are separate. So it's important to take a step back and look at all these aspects of your health, especially as a dancer or athlete, human, whatever, and just see like, what is the aspect of my health where I am really truly struggling the most and having the most like honest conversation with yourself about it so that you can then start to work on that aspect and see how it then will start to have positive effects on the rest of your health. Do you want to add on to that, Rachel? Yeah. um, I mean, mental and physical health, like you were saying before with any athlete or just being a human in general, right? Um, These are things that, these are things that we're going to deal with. And I think now I, I was a baton twirler. I wouldn't say I was a dancer, but I've been. I an love athlete. when she says this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, um, you know, physically, I think I'm sure the four of us here, we're all very physically aware of our bodies just mm-hmm. from, you know, the sports and um, athletics that we put ourselves into in general. But like with that comes that really tough mental component that, I don't really think a lot of people experience if they haven't, I don't want to say if they haven't been an athlete or a dancer or whatever the case may be, because you can experience that. But I don't think that awareness is um, as um, natural in a way, right? As prevalent maybe. Yeah. So, um, and I don't think what a lot of people realize is that there's, good stress and bad stress, but like stress is stress on the body. So like Mm -hmm. you're putting a lot of stress on yourself physically, then you also need to balance that out mentally in some other way. Right. And we need to, what Jesse and I do is really teach people how to do that too. Right. Like that's part of why we're in this industry as well. So, um, it's all encompassing again that holistic and that whole body approach. If you really want to achieve good optimal health, you really have to look at the whole picture. Okay, then bring, bringing to that, that brings me to one of our first points when we kind of talk of like physical and mental um, stress on the body. And I think stress is kind of become one of our key points here, um, mm-hmm. like auditions. So for especially, you know, working performers here in the city, like not, you can find out weeks in advance that you have an audition or literally you can be in the audition building and it's like, cool, you have an audition in the next hour. So like, intense moments of stress or intense moments of physical exertion because we as dancers go through this you know a dance call it's rarely two hours for one dancer you know like you learn a combo and it's over with and done in like two three minutes and i want to know like 
what are your thoughts on those kind of like those intense moments of stress? Like, are they better? Are they, are they better? Are they worse? You know, like it's kind of unavoidable for us as dancers, you know, that, that audition time is kind of crunch time. And I know the, I've done it myself, like the amount of stress I put on myself in those five minutes to get everything correct, you know, to not mess up. Like I, I think that's for me, I know I always feel that just kind of extreme exhaustion. The minute I get mm-hmm. the minute I'm out of the building, it's like a giant sigh of release. And it's like, mm. what's going on there? Break it down for me. Would I you think, s- oh, yeah, go ahead, Jess. No, what were you going to say? Um, I, the, I guess the first thing I was, I was going to say was like, I want to point like rituals and routines into this because I think if you have like a, if you know, as a dancer, you've experienced those things before, right? So, you know, sometimes like it's going to be in the moment, like you said, you only have a few hours. Um, try and have some sort of plan or ritual to either prepare yourself for that and then also coming down from that stress too, right? We need to be able to um, adapt to it because you said some things are uncontrollable. You're not going to be able to avoid the stress, but it's all about how you manage that, whether it be in the moment before and after as well, I think. Um, Yeah, I was ritual or routine, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Adding on to that, I was going to say, and this is actually something that I think we've talked about in a recent episode, quarantine is a blur. Um, but it's really important. It's really important to be flexible, not physically, but like in life, <laughs> because mm-hmm. because of these things. And I think this is actually one of the greatest things I've learned as like being a dancer and the ever changing schedules and last minute 10 hour rehearsals and last minute auditions and uh oh by the way you're actually going to be her part not your part um is just like always like like Rachel said being um having a ritual having a routine and figuring out for yourself like what works and what doesn't work um you need to have tactics to calm to like calm yourself like whether it's just like closing your eyes and breathing having a that like a uh, really quick warm up for yourself so that if you do get called into something last minute, you know exactly what to do mentally and physically to prepare yourself for that. And you're not just having to like make it up last minute, but you're like, this is my physical warm up plan for when I get called into these last minute things. And I could just like do this in five to 10 minutes to get my body ready. And I know that it's efficient because I've done it before. Um, and having having that kind of plan allows you to be more flexible and even just like having a skeleton of like, when this happens, this is how I handle it. And sometimes we really can't figure those things out until we've like done it a bunch of times. Um, So I think you need to be flexible and you need to be open to change and you need to view everything as a learning experience because if you do say yes to an audition or a teaching gig or a masterclass or whatever that you weren't ready for, you have to then reflect on it and say, why didn't this work out for me? What can I do better next time? How can I be more mentally prepared for it? And you really do have to be prepared for those what if moments, especially mm-hmm. as a dancer. Um, yeah. I am. Um... I I love that. And I love that we're bringing this up because I feel like that this is something that they like never teach you. I mean, at least when I was in college, I I mean, it definitely, I learned it on my own. I was struggling. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It didn't happen when I was young. It definitely didn't happen in college where you would think like if you're in some type of 
you know, program or going into an industry that is going to be all about like how like you're, you know, being an athlete, being a dancer, anything to that effect, like the things you need to do to keep yourself calm and collected, I think are so important because you're right. Like having being like, all right, well, I know that like every morning I do this and then if I have an audition, I'm ready to go or exactly like after every audition, I can do X, Y, and Z to calm myself down. And like, yeah, I think that is something you just like figure out on your own. And it takes a very long time and sometimes too long for too many people. So like, if you had the ability to think ahead and be like, what are some things I could put in place? So even when I like things change on the fly, I'm not spiraling out of control. Yeah, like just like a toolbox to pull from. So that when you do come across those unpredictable moments you're ready even though you weren't like I know that I have like go-to core exercises I have go-to uh just like overall go-to um warm-up exercises that I can do to get my body uh ready if something comes up last minute or for my mind and like some of that came Mm -hmm. from working with a physical therapist like she gave me a couple exercises and she's like these are the breathing techniques that you can do like if you need to like calm down or just like to mentally prepare yourself to focus um Mm -hmm. so a lot of it has been learned from working with fellow professionals or from just like riding the struggle bus and figuring it out on my own (laughs) yeah (laughs) I don't think I mean stress management to young artists like in general I don't think stress management is something that is like actively taught in like you know college uh, like our college classes like I had conversations with my professors because I would seek them out because I started like I was an MT major so like I was never with one department for very long I was kind of scattered all over the place but like I never vividly remember like a class where it's like these are the steps to dealing with stress of audition I don't remember anybody ever teaching me that in life (laughs) and I like and I wish like I wish someone would have because I mean like that's part of the Mm -hmm. reason why like I stopped performing I think like a big part of the reason why I was like nope I'm done I'm gonna focus on other things is because I just was like I can't handle the like going to an audition waiting around in a room with a million people not having any room to warm up dancing for three minutes and then being done like it's too much physical and you know psychological and emotional stress and it's like no you know if maybe if I had had the toolbox I things would have been different so I think like yeah like for me it was you no for me and it's not even just as an athlete too like your everyday human beings really need these need these tools. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I well, think for I, me was um, it's a, it's the burnout that came from like I'm one of those people that like I like to be big, big. so like mm-hmm. constantly running and going, I would be fine, and then like it would come up to like a holiday or like you know I go and I would slow down and go back visit my family, and then I would immediately find myself getting sick or I immediately find my body going haywire, and it took a long time for me to be like why like why is my body going haywire right now like it would mm-hmm. my body would do things that i could not ex- i could not verbalize like i could not explain why i was perfectly healthy on monday and then tuesday i have a cold that like is the worst cold i've ever had mm-hmm. and well I, I think well, that is really classic of dancers to burn out and i know like i went through mm-hmm. the same thing i was 
I was dancing 30 hours a week at school. I would be in 10 hours of rehearsal. And then I would also go to the gym and I would lift poorly because I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And I would run (laughs) three miles a day because I thought that sounded like a good number. Um, And I would under eat and I would just eat like spinach and rice and like five apples a day because like, I don't know, it sounded not enough calories for anything. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would, like, not understand why I was, like, breaking my hand and breaking my ankle and, like, getting the flu and, like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm doing all these healthy things, but I was living in these wild extremes, and it wasn't until I became a certified personal trainer, I became a nutritionist, and I, like, got higher education in all of these fields and really started learning what, like, more of what I think needs to start to be implemented within dance training, which is, like, nutrition for athletes cross training for athletes mm-hmm. what what it means to yes. overtrain because over like so many of us overtrain and under eat and we never learn what that is no um and I it's, it's very common it almost, yeah i mean um it's almost like the industry promotes that though right it promotes these like high stress and it yeah. encourages yeah. it right it's like oh if you're not working as hard as me if you're not as burnt out as me like you're not you're not working hard enough like i'm better than you right or um, yeah. do, do you guys see that a lot, right? Like it's, it's almost, yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> abso- yeah, I mean, it's absolutely kind of like what they do, right? Like you're not, you're not trying hard enough. Like you're not the reason you're not booking anything is cause you're not doing enough. Yes. And like, mm-hmm. it's just, um, or like, like I'm even thinking of, there's been times where like, like Tony knows this. So Tony and I work together at stage door manor, which is, it's a lot you have to put on a full-length musical in 10 days you have to have all the rehearsals you have it have to have it on its feet teaching three dance classes a day five days a week I was in rehearsal for um I don't know five hours a day six days a week I was in rehearsal and um and and also the average day there is also like 12 to 11 right and that's me and that was me as that was me as a choreographer and it was just like, I would be exhausted. And I worked there for six years. And you finally like, you know, I think by year five, I finally re- like figured out kind of like what my routine and my rituals were going to be so that I wasn't burnt out at the end of the night mm. because people would literally get back from, you know, evening rehearsal and be like, how are you not exhausted? Like, I can't move. I can't wake up in the morning. Like people would get so sick by the time like the third week would roll around because you're, you're just, you're exhausted and you've like overworked yourself and like, a hundred percent like under eating there's not enough time you know um to do anything in the day and like I definitely think that's where like you were saying before the rituals and the routines also help because there'd be so many times where people are like I don't understand how do you want to go out right now and it's like you know because I'm trying to balance myself and I'm like you know I'm basically checking balancing myself as a human being so that I don't get burnt out yeah so I want to continue on with this talking about like with rehearsals and I know I'm Mm -hmm. guilty of this as a choreographer too where it's like when the creative juices are flowing I just kind of ask everything physically of my dancers in that rehearsal room and it's like how do you and I again this is one of those things where it's like it needs to be better health across the board asked from choreographers and given from dancers like how do Mm -hmm. you prepare for everything you know like it's one of those things of like there are certain choreographers that have gotten a reputation for being like, they're jumpers, you know, they're, you know, they're turners. So like, I know to kind of prepare myself to really warm up my ankles if I'm going in for a jumper or a turner. But like, sometimes you just don't know, you know, it may be a new choreographer or they may be going through a new creative phase. And like, 
how do you, and uh, for those, you know, new listeners, like, rehearsals are typically, if we're going professional shows, they're eight hours, you know, if you're doing musicals, it's a eight, it's eight hours with, you know, dinner, lunch break, or it's a straight six, where it's straight six mm-hmm. hours. And if we're dealing with dance companies, God help you, those can be, you know, eight to 10 to 12 sometimes. Like I know, I mean, it's totally illegal, but I know some companies that, you know, they have two six hours rehearsals in one day with maybe like a two hour break in or an hour break in between, which a lot of times those dancers will go to the gym or try to do yoga during that break, you know? Mm-hmm. So how do you, what are, what are some good coping mechanisms or like good healthy balance? Yeah, like with those... Yeah, with those long rehearsals or, or, you know, and if you're not a dancer or, or a performer, like even just like for athletes, like practices or, you know, leading up to something that like they just ask the world of you. Well, if you, um, so if you, if you know it's coming up, then you can plan for it. So how you would plan for that is like, I'm going to compare it to like training for an event. If mm-hmm. you're training for an event, such as like a half marathon, a marathon, a triathlon, or something along those lines, you would have a deload week, meaning the week leading up to that major event that is going to require all of the energy, you do next to nothing. And Mm. because you want to conserve your energy for this very long day. And then you also want to carb load two days before because of the way that your liver and body stores and releases the glycogen storages that your body needs and uses for energy and you also want to hydrate um one and two days before like extra so whatever you're normally drinking you want to drink even more and then the day of you would kind of go back to your normal hydration eating throughout the day and being prepared with snacks that have carbs and proteins um, mixed in with like some fats, but you really want to like that morning carb up, have a lot of protein that's going to help you stay full. You don't really want to have too much fat before because it takes a lot longer for your body to digest and it can make you feel really sluggish. So you want to have more of your fats later or after rehearsal. Um, So you really like, I, I know sometimes we can't know, like sometimes it'll be like, yo, tomorrow we're going 10 hours, be there. But if, if you do know that it's coming up, then you can prepare and have that deload week and kind of conserve your energy and then properly prepare your nutrition as well. Um, well, I, I, I was sorry, I was going to say I love that because I feel like that's also something that I've never really again, never been taught and don't really, especially in the perform in the performing yeah, arts. Yeah, I never really thought really about, hear like, about several that. days before prepping, like. Yeah. The, um, I think it's all about being proactive versus reactive in these situations too, right? You don't want to get into a situation where you have to constantly react to things. Like Jesse was just saying, you really want to be prepared. Um, And if you can't be prepared, like for the, maybe physically, like your body's not going to be able to be prepared, like at least maybe work on the other components, right? Work on that mental preparedness, work on that um, Mm -hmm. emotional preparedness too, right? Because again, like we were saying before, like 
it still is a whole body approach. Like stress is going to be stress. So even if your body is under a lot of physical stress and you may not have control over that, try and focus on those aspects that you have control of within those moments. Um, because doing that is still better than not doing anything or just going for it, right? There's always going to be something that you can control. So just try and take charge within that. Um, because there are those, there are those moments where you just, you're going to be thrown those curveballs. And, um, again, having like the rituals or routines or something to mentally prepare you for that is going to be beneficial. So that's totally yeah. swings me into our, another big part of all of our dancers and performance life is performance life. And I've mm -hmm. always found this exceedingly weird out of performers, especially in the professional atmospheres that for dancers and music theater performers, like rehearsals are during the day more often than not. And then the minute you get into the actual run of the show, it's nighttime, you know? And mm -hmm. as a night person, I would always struggle with the rehearsals, you know, getting up early and then, you know, having a full day. But then when we get to the run of the show, I would be great because, you know, shows are getting out 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. So my, my question and, like, uh, and thoughts that I kind of want to bring up is like, how do you deal with that adjustment of, you know, Sunday, change. you know, that, that the sleep schedule change, you know, the eating, you know, the mm -hmm. eating change, like it's one of those things of like in a perfect world, you know, you go straight from rehearsals to, you know, performing at night, but then there, you know, me and Danielle have definitely dealt with this. There are times where I will be rehearsing all day and then go into a performance at night and then, you know, loop into the next show of the season. And yeah. So or constant teaching cycle. all day and then a rehearsal at night yeah. and all of that. But I think, um, yeah, I think I also, yeah, that, that schedule change mm -hmm. for sure. I think, can you guys have like a list of non-negotiables? You know what I mean? No. Like every individual. <laughs> no, and it, I think yeah. Rachel brings up a really great point in there that like they are, we would all love to be able to just be like, this is non-negotiable. I'm not going to work these X amount of days. But like, It'd be like, great, mm -hmm. you are fired. Right, yeah, you know, it's that perpetual, yeah. which, which I think goes back to what you guys were saying about the cycle is like, there's always that innate fear and stress that there's, I mean, I think of the movie Showgirls, there's always somebody young, younger and hungrier coming down the stairs beside you that will push you over to get your spot. Well, she's and she's so, probably literally starving. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, it's, I would love, like, I've, I can tell you, me and Daniel have definitely had those days where it's like, I've, like, I'm exhausted. I sit up all night editing music to make it, you know, to be ready for rehearsal. And then I still have, like, and dance tonight like I don't I can't say no no is not an option and here for my goals I I have to say I I actually experienced like a couple of years ago where I was teaching full-time so I'd be teaching from like 9 a.m or 10 a.m all the way until you know 3 30 or sometimes 5 30 and then I was working on a show and I would have to like go from Queens all the way to uh to Brooklyn near Clinton Hill and I would like straight from work and I was living in Manhattan too and then I'd be in rehearsal from like 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. choreographing like a pretty strenuous show and then I'd have to like go to Manhattan go home wake up and like I absolutely know like my health suffered like so much during those couple of months like I was so exhausted and unhappy I cried so much I like broke out all over my face because I was just like picking up random food to because I had no time to eat dinner. So, um, yeah, give us some like thoughts and, well, and tips. Even, and stuff. Um, 
even have your own set of maybe you can't give non-negotiables to other people, but even for yourself, right? Like I know I need to get at least mm. X amount of hours of sleep, right? I know I need to fuel myself with X, Y, and Z in order to allow me to perform at my best. And when I can perform at my mm. best or when you are working at your best, then you know, you're doing the best for your dancers or your choreo or whatever the case may be, you know? So it doesn't have to be, no, I can't, um, no, we're ending rehearsal at this time or whatever the case may be, but just at least individualize certain non-negotiables mm -hmm. for yourself. So you know that you're taken care of so you can be your best for everyone else on that stage or whatever the case may be. And you need to, you need to like also be realistic about what you say yes to, um, which I know oh, like we've Such all, we've all said <laughs> yes to like too many things, but then mm -hmm. like, like you need to be real realistic about your plate. Right. And then, so like a real life example was when I was in dietetic school, I was in dietetic school full time. I was running a performing arts school that had theater and dance. I was teaching most of my classes. And then I was also choreographing for my friend and I, and I was training for a half marathon. Um, That's fun. It, wow. <laughs> and like, I would wake up, run nine miles and then go teach, uh, strength and conditioning and tap and jazz. And like, I don't even know, but what got me through all of that, like absolute craziness was kind of like what Rachel just said. I had my own non-negotiables for myself. I made sure that I got a certain amount of sleep every single night. Every Sunday, I meal prepped because that was the day mm. that I had available. So I always had my breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks ready to go and grab Monday through Sunday. Um, and I was also, like at the time, I had moved back home and I was commuting from South Jersey up to Montclair State University, which is like an hour and a half drive. Um, mm -hmm. every single day. It was my second degree, so I wasn't living on campus. I was commuting. I had, I moved back home for personal reasons. Um, and then I was also working an hour away from my parents' house because that's where the studio was that I had bought. So mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, how the hell can I make all of this work? So like I would train, I would do my half marathon training runs in between, like on like my breaks. So like I would mm -hmm. find like parks on the way between the house and the studio to run and that would kind of be like my workout and then I would go and do like my dance stuff so like you have to look at your plate and even if you say you did say yes to too many things but now you're committed and you can't back out you got to sit down with all this shit and you got to look at it and you got to say like how how can I eat sleep and survive and then like when I get past this like what am I going to say no to next time because I said yes to too many things you have to look at everything as a learning experience too and um I, I definitely agree with that because I it's funny enough a friend of mine is a professional stage manager and he and I talked about this when it comes to like when we get out of college especially as artists we're we want to make it so bad that we're almost taught to say yes to everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so like, he was like, and he's a bit younger than, he's a bit younger than me and Danielle. So I think, I think Jason's probably five years younger than us. Um, if not more. Yeah, something. Um, and his big thing was like, he was like, he was very excited to say how many shows he was going to do a year. Cause you know, he got a new contract with the regional theater. And so he was like looking at like, 15 shows a year and these are 15 full-blown 
stage productions a year that would run for about a month and a half, if not two months. Mm-hmm. And I literally kind of was, I was like, that sounds like a nightmare. And he's like, what? And I was like, 15 shows in 12 months. Do you know, like, do you think about that for a second? And he was like, oh, oh no. Oh, I need to go like, oh, I'm glad you said, like he was about to renegotiate the contract and things. He was like, I'm so glad you said that, you know, because like a lot of times it's, it's one of those things like I was, Definitely that person, Jesse. I wasn't that crazy when I was on a marathon on top of that. But I really had a couple <laughs> moments where, like, honestly, pr- prior to COVID shutting me down, I was choreographing way too many things. Uh, I think, like, and would you agree that, like, as far as, like, okay, take, like, marathons and stuff out of it. But, like, mm-hmm. saying yes to, like, all of the gigs, right? Because, like, we've all done that. Would you say that a big part of that is just the worry of, like, well, what if these one of these gets canceled? Like, I got to pay my bills. Like, yes. what's yeah. Really- like before, a hundred, yeah, a hundred percent. So, it's, it's a which game. in itself, I was gonna say, which in itself, yeah. the financial worry is like a mm-hmm. whole completely other separate stress, right? Absolutely. Especially when you're like, you know, right now, like, you know, finally took a job in a charter school, like salaried, great. So anything else that I do is like extra income. But for years, I was just freelancing. Mm-hmm. So like, Absolutely. I had to say yes just to a all of the things, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just yeah. a freelancer. So that, that constant fear of like, this work may never come again, or I really want to work with this director, or I really want to work with this dancer, like that, and which is, I think, I think uh, I, uh, Rachel was making this point of like, I think you both were like, stress is going to happen. It's unavoidable, you know, mm-hmm. like as a freelancer, I've accepted that there's going to be a level of stress that I'm always going to have to deal with. And the minute I kind of accepted that and realized that like, I have to keep my coping mechanisms and things going. It got a lot better. Like there are times where I'm like, I won't say the stress isn't there, but it's less oppressive on the rest of my life mm-hmm. as I've kind of put in those things to. Well, I think you bring up a good point that like, you know, you know that stress is a problem that is going to come along with your choices and you've made mm-hmm. your peace with that. And I think that facing that is, something that more people need to do it's like okay what are the pros Mm -hmm. and cons of this decision that I'm about to make am I okay with these cons you know that you're going to be super stressed about income but you figured out a way to combat it and work with it Mm -hmm. and you're like you recognize like this is my stress but here's how I'm going to like help ease it like along the way it's just gotta be worth it Yeah, well, I, you know, it's just gotta be worth it. If you gotta put yourself to, through that, make it worth it. <laughs> it comes mm-hmm. down to your priorities. Like you, mm-hmm. really, yes. like this is important to you, so you're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I think that I often say that when it comes to you, um, I don't know about you guys, but like I am not from New York City. I'm not even remotely close. I'm from the South. So like anytime I talk to you know young students or young performers about moving to New York City and starting their careers, you know I, that's one of the big things I always say is like New York City is a hard place to live, even when you're working a nine to five steady paycheck every single day, you know right. type of deal. So when you're talking about being a performer of any kind or a freelancer of any kind in one of the hardest cities in the world to live in, like that certain level of stress is still going to be there. You know, like you guys aren't freelancers completely anymore, but you still get that, like, there's just a level of stress when you're dealing with New York City, be it, you know, late trains, overcrowded, mm-hmm. you know, areas. Like, it's just a level you mm-hmm. have to 
I don't even go into the city and it stresses me out to think about it. Okay. <laughs> That's how yes. much it stresses me. Just the thought of having to get there for me, right? So I think I kind of go I think with the um with you know all these opportunities and everything too that stress you out. I mean, even in the fitness industry, people told me, look, say yes until you have to say no because mm-hmm. opportunity comes knocking, like when you want to take advantage of that, like if, if it's your dream and it's what you got, like, again, you know, the stress that's going to come along with it. If you're okay with it, say yes until you have to say no, but hopefully you're not getting to that burnout point. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to flip this on you guys right now, but it sounds like this is just an industry problem in general, right? Whether it be oh, dance, yeah, 100%. anything, and there just needs to be a lot more education around this, right? Like it is just a straight up industry problem. And until mm-hmm. there's more education and more awareness around it, that may not change or will it ever well, change? And you know what's interesting is that like I did have and it was actually um, the professor that kind of made me originally start to think about looking into becoming a certified personal trainer because she said she was one and I really loved her modern classes and she would we had this like set core routine that we did every class between like whatever like in the middle of class basically and so she made me start to really think um, and then um what was I just gonna say she kind of brought up the concept of overtraining one rehearsal Mm -hmm. but at the time like I hadn't heard the phrase before so I didn't know exactly what it was but I remember her ending a rehearsal really early and she was like I'm happy with that um I know it's like two hours early but I don't want you guys to like overdo it so you can go home now and I was like what like nobody <laughs> ever, ever let us go yeah. even five minutes mm-hmm. early. It was yeah. like, there's no such thing as perfect. Like we're going to go until I say we're done. And she was just mm-hmm. like, go on, you're free. And like somebody approached her about something that was going on within their body. I don't know if he was feeling an injury coming on or whatever. And she, I remember her saying to him, like, oh, just be careful to not stretch too much. And I was like, stretch too Mm -hmm. much? What do you mean? I thought we weren't stretching enough. Like, and she just, like, I'll just never forget her, like, always kind of, like, planting those seeds and really making me, like, curious and starting to explore, like, this concept of, like, overdoing it. (laughs) I think, yeah. One perfect segue, um, but yeah. I, I do really want to talk about overtraining because it's one of those things that Danielle and I have discussed before in the show. And like, it's funny that you missed and Jesse like the overstretching. I was I it just happened in college, and I was overstretching. I was trying to get my splits completely flat to the ground at the time, and I was overstressing, and my knee did not feel right. Like I kept having issues in my knee, and literally, like I was talking with one of my professors about it, and she was like. Oh, you're over you're literally overstretching. And I was like, how is that? That's not possible. Mm-hmm. She's like, those muscles are overworked. They're not having enough recovery time to adjust okay. to what you're trying to teach them. And that I, went, sorry, keep no no, no continue because my thoughts are a little bit different. Continue. Well, my thought was just like it took me a while to realize that, like, especially we as dancers, like you're you're teaching your muscles the same way you teach you know, your brain. So like in the process of teaching your muscles, like they need recovery time. Like they need time Mm -hmm. to process what they're, you know, what they're being put through. And I, I, yeah, I'm definitely one of those people now where I'm like, yeah, no, I need to take a break. I'm not doing anything. You know, like I, 
honestly have created hobbies that are polar opposite of like physical activities like gaming and stuff now just to avoid that so i kind of i do want to kind of dive into like the overtraining and like what what's the kind of like worst that happens when you kind of overtrain or are well or is oblivious to it and i want to i have i i want to talk about this in general but i also have a question where um and i feel like i brought this up before on our podcast tony where i feel like obviously overtraining has happened forever athletes and specifically dancers have been doing it forever but i feel like within the past you know 15 10 to 15 years there's been such a big empathy so i think like there's been like an understanding that cross training is um, necessary, uh, especially as dancers and any athlete and how it's helpful. But in the same vein, there's been this almost obsession with then cross training and overtraining. And I have, I have to look the best and I have to constantly be at the gym if I'm not in rehearsal and I can't miss a day of, of working out and kind of, so like in general, let's talk about overtraining, but then like, why do you guys notice that with like your athletes and your clients and, and stuff as well that like, you know, within the past decade or so, there's been like this huge emphasis on like, you have to do more. It's not, it's not enough. And why do you think that is? No pain, no gain. Right. It's a bad, uh, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's one thing that we're always trying to combat is that more isn't always better. Um, and I don't, I don't think people that doesn't truly hit home until you experience it yourself. Unfortunately, it sometimes comes from personal experience. I think what we're trying to do is get the information out there. So you get to this point before you unfortunately overtrain or get hurt or whatever the case is, but you know, we're all, everybody, we're stubborn, right? Like, we're, no, we're going to push ourselves. We're going to see what we're capable of, but, um, I think it's again. I think we said this earlier. Just setting realistic expectations for yourself, right? Um, yeah. When it comes to overtraining, and again, like society today encourages and promotes and almost rewards doing too much, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whoever's the busiest, whoever's working the hardest, whatever the case may be, that's what's getting rewarded. You're not getting rewarded for sitting back and saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to take a break. Like, so it's really hard to do that when, you know, society and the rest of the world is telling you the opposite. Um, and it's, it's, it's still a challenge that we're still trying to overcome in our industry as well. Well, yeah. and like with, with cross training specifically, you need to be sure that you're truly cross training and not just training the same exact muscles that you're working in your dance class. Because we have all of these different muscles, but they don't Mm -hmm. always get worked. So like if you, this is why like I personally think it's good to explore different types of dance because like Horton is going to work different muscles than Lalone is going to work different muscles yes. than ballet. A lot of the same, yes, but you'll also start diving into okay, wait. I have a really funny story to share really quickly. Yeah. So I I have I was not my style of modern is not Horton. I was trained in Lamone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. although I've taken some Horton. And then uh Daniela, you took Horton in college, right? Yes, I took Horton in I took Lamone, Horton, Graham. I took and those are the three in college. Okay. So yeah. randomly, there was this choreographer that me, that I really liked, and I wanted to take his class, and he was teaching at Ailey. And so Danielle and I took his class, and it was all Horton class. Me and Danielle were sore for a week. 
because oh, we yeah. did not use those muscles. It was just, we don't, we're not important people. So per se, so like, that's not the style that we naturally lean to when we're going to take dance class. But the class is great, don't get me wrong. It has nothing to do with the choreographer itself. But like, I just remember being like, oh, I haven't used these specific muscles in a very, very long time. Like, it was- Oh yeah, like, and you feel it right away. Horton's like a big one where I feel like I'll feel those muscles I never use right away. And I'm like, oh, hello, like- Yeah. Like, I oh, just yeah. remember being sore for a week from using those muscles. But please continue. That's <laughs> no, that's funny. I had Horton for, like, two years in college. Um, high so. school. High school was the last time I trained in Horton. <laughs> so my um, body was screaming. That's so funny. But then I really started understanding this concept more when I started running and lifting and just the importance of doing exercise that complement your main sport. So like mm-hmm. my main sport, I'll always say is dance. Even though I do run half marathons and do triathlons and stuff, I'll never do them at like a competitive level. I do them at a recreational level because it's something different that I enjoy doing that's just like fun and you get a shiny fun medal at the end. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> who doesn't love bling, right? But right. like, But I've also noticed how much they have helped my dancing. I took a few years off of taking class when I was teaching. And then finally, after like three years of not being in class, I was like, I got to do something for me again. Like I love teaching Mm -hmm. dance, but I'm not taking dance for me. And I miss that. So it was hard to come back. um, And I was doing too much. But then when I found this balance of like lifting total body through like three to four days a week, um, working on like uh, foundational movements like deadlifting, squatting, twisting patterns, mm-hmm. core, like all those different things, and then starting to relate them to like, okay, how do these exercises help me as a dancer? What power exercises do I need to do? Like, where are my weaknesses as a dancer? I am terrible at jumping off of one leg. So like, I need to do a lot more of like power and one-legged exercises and like single leg deadlifts in the gym mm-hmm. um, so that I don't overexhaust myself just like doing arabesques all the time. Um, and then I started seeing a, a physical therapist because I, for like 10 years, literally was chronically pulling my groin. And I found that I wasn't doing the proper like corrective exercises that I needed to do. And I had been compensating Mm -hmm. for years and my, Mm -hmm. specifically my left obliques were weaker than my right. And because of the diagonal pathways that are throughout our bodies, I kept pulling my right groin because my left oblique wall was weak and the muscles in my left inner thigh and my groin was Mm -hmm. pulling, pulling, pulling until it literally Mm -hmm. pulled and I kept getting injured. So it was like this unique balance of like, I'm also hypermobile. So it was like uh, complementing and strengthening that hypermobility, learning how to control it. And I feel like even though dance teachers always talk about like how you have to move from the core out, they don't actually really freaking teach you how to do that. They don't. don't. For sure. So my physical therapist taught me literally, literally. Yeah, conversations see. with the physical therapist when I was in it for my ankle being like, so when they say this, what does that mean? I think you're very mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So, you know, just all of that. And just, um, I, I think I've had a lot of dance teachers, especially in college, be like, it's black or white, you do it or you don't. And I'm like, I, uh, but I'm really trying and you're just yelling mm-hmm. at me, but you're not actually helping me. 
And it really took me going to physical therapy and being like, oh, these are my unique like anatomical issues and how I've been compensating. And honestly, over the past three years that I've been back in dance classes, I feel stronger as a dancer now that I've been cross training and doing the appropriate lifts and running to help my endurance and swimming to help my endurance and be easier on my joints. Um, I feel stronger when I take ballet and contemporary now than I felt in college, you know? Amazing. Um, yeah. And like, I, I, I just wish I knew then what I know. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I think this is a point that I really want to, specifically when we have you uh, ladies on here, something that like I... I, I feel the kind of same way that you do, Jesse. Is that like I feel like I found my strength and, and my strength and understanding of my body now because mm-hmm. of like injuries and like I mean, yes, the longer you live, the better you get. But like, no, nothing is one size fits all. And so I kind of right. want to uh, briefly kind of talk about how like I know plenty of dancers that are in that are very healthy and are in great shape, but aesthetically they don't look like they're in great shape or they don't necessarily look like they're healthy. And it's like learning how your own body works is completely different than the person beside you. Because I've just seen like something as simple as like breaking down Batmas with some of my dancers. It's like, you're all doing the same thing, but to get this, to get dancer A and dancer B to the same place, and they have to think differently and carry their bodies differently. And I don't think we necessarily teach that to our younger dancers. Well, and the problem Mm -hmm. too with that is that like a lot of times, okay, so like women tend to be quad dominant. um, So it's really hard for them to fire their glutes and hamstrings. So it can be really important for them to cross train with things such as deadlifts or good mornings and really get them to activate those muscles and teach their brain how to fire those muscles. And if they have a pelvic tilt, then their core is not firing properly. So if you have a dancer with a pelvic tilt, you need to give them corrective exercises that teach their brain how to activate and align their core. So you see, that like immediately lot- falls into turns. Like I think of pirouettes. I think of pirouettes are standing in passe. That something, something as simple as like a pelvic tilt, I never really thought too much about. That immediately is going to affect how you do your turns or stand in passe or hold in passe last year who just like for the life of her could not she couldn't fire her glute and like she was a great dancer but and she would kind of get like lucky on turns but she um she just she kept uh her hips were hurting her and Mm. I I couldn't teach there this year because it conflicted with my schedule but I subbed a class and she came up to me and she said my hips finally don't hurt as bad anymore. And I really finally feel my turnout. Like, thank you so much for the specific exercises that you gave me last year. Like, I don't think there's enough teachers that really uh, look at their students as individuals and give them like, like you specifically need to work on this. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. when I was training, it was like, all of you need to do this. And I was yeah, like, well, absolutely. That work for me like what like I still don't get it and it wasn't that I didn't mentally get it like I always mentally got it but I would get frustrated with like well why can't I feel my hamstring like I'm trying but I just can't Mm -hmm. I wasn't given the correct tools and exercises to fire those muscles yeah 
Um, it seems like that in any group activity, right? Like there isn't any individual attention. Um, mm-hmm. But going back, and it, it, it's like really, where's the time for it? Honestly, it sounds like you kind of have to like go and search for that on your own. But until you know that, you know, you're aware of that, how, where are those resources and tools for you, right? Um, mm-hmm. You guys were saying before about, you know, performance, like, or Tony, what was it that you said? Something about how, like, these dancers, like, they dance really well, but they don't look the part sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, that, is, is that what you said? I, I don't yes. know if I'm, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Even coming from, like, a strength and conditioning standpoint, right? Like, there's a very specific way you train for performance. There's a very specific way you train for aesthetics. If you want to be optimal, you can't be in the middle. <laughs> like if you want to have optimal, if you want to have optimal performance, you really can't worry that much about your aesthetics. Like yes, your nutrition needs to be on point for performance, but like, and it is honestly, it sounds like the dance industry doesn't um, doesn't promote and it really doesn't complement that. Right, it's trying to find somewhere in between, but from a physiological standpoint, like that doesn't work. <laughs> I think that that's like a super, (laughs) I think that that's a super interesting thing though, because I absolutely think like, you know, dance and specifically ballet is rooted on like, you can do all of these things physically, but you have to look a certain way. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's also somewhere, right. You have to. And I think that's why, like, especially with ballet companies for the longest time, they'd be like, oh yeah, you retire at, you know, 30 years old because your body can no longer handle it. Mm -hmm. physically and I think like they don't um you know I think that there's been movement over the past decade with like what does a dancer look like and how that has shaped and turned but I I mean we're still absolutely not not fully there yet and in terms of like if you want to be a powerhouse dancer then no I'm sorry you might not be a twig or you might not have this like eight pack that magically appears and like well and even if dance like say someone first of all people are going to look different at like low or like Mm -hmm. whatever this say they have the same uh percentage of body fat but genetically they carry it differently and part of the issue in like aesthetics for let's say like ballet or just dance in general we cannot do anything about the way that our muscles look because the shape of them is how we were born. So Mm -hmm. you can't change the shape of your muscle. So I hate the term like, oh, get long and lean muscles like a dancer. Mm -hmm. Some people are tall. Don't have have that. Well, some people are tall and have these long, quote unquote, lean muscles. Leanness just refers to the amount of body fat that you have the shape of your muscle like some and also some people are natural gainers quote unquote Mm -hmm. so like some people are going to gain muscle more easily than others um and that muscle will grow in size but the shape of the muscle does not change if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so like can change an insertion point of a muscle literally unless you surgically do that (laughs) right right it's like that whole notion in the dance industry like really needs to go in the garbage and like because it's it's silly to worry about because we can't do anything about it unless like Rachel just said we get surgery right insertion point of the muscle now if you know if through like experiments that like you gain uh your muscle grows easily for like whatever then okay then you just change the approach to keep that muscle strong 
so that you you're not. You don't know that in your twenties. You don't know that in your early twenties. Oh when you're no! Going, I mean, like, most people uh, most people don't know it as adults. You know, and like I, I took like, never years figure to be like, it out. This is where <laughs> yeah. I gain fat. This is where I gain muscle first. This is where I lose fat first. This is where I lose muscle at first. Like. Right. I, and I'm literally 31, 32, 32. Like I'm literally, you know, in my early thirties realizing this stuff for the first time. And like the, I will say within the last two years, kind of realizing where I lose and gain weight and where I lose and gain muscle. So like, mm-hmm. I, th- I think you're right. It's like, it's a lot of industry stuff that's like, it's just, you guys, it's just wrong. Like people, you don't know this at 21, 22 and you're just yeah. trying to, or just yeah. trying to and you can't and, say you do want to, or need to whatever, like lose body fat. The truth of the matter is, is that you can't spot reduce when you lose body fat, you lose it all over. And Mm it's just sometimes there's more of it in certain places, depending on how your body genetically carries fat. And as women, we're always going to have higher percentages of body fat. We need higher percentages so that our reproductive system doesn't get messed up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that we, you know, it messes with your hormones. It makes you really sick if your body fat's too low. And then also that like quote unquote lower belly, like stubborn body fat, like uh, some women may have a little bit more of that, but there's nothing wrong with it. And it's natural and it like should be there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Healthy looks different on everybody. I, that is a big well, thing. Well, and I, uh, I mean, I was someone who got, I got very sick my senior year of college. And the only reason I knew, I mean, I've talked about this before and Tony knows this. The only reason I knew how sick I had gotten was because I stopped cycling. I stopped menstruating. And I remember asking my roommate in college, I was like, I remember being like, Stephanie, like, I like, sorry listeners that this is inappropriate, but I was like, I haven't gotten my period in two months. And like, I'm definitely not pregnant. So, and I remember her being like, well, you look like you've lost weight. And I finally had to weigh myself and like that, like, but I knew when that had happened, I was like, this is not okay. This is not like, oh my God, yay, I'm so skinny. This is like, no, no, like I'm 21, 22 years old. Like this is very dangerous if I'm not menstruating. Right. Like that's not, that's not how our bodies are supposed to function. And I even remember like last year I worked with a group of coworkers who were younger than me, who were in like their early to mid twenties. And I just remember some of them, they would always, there's like a group of four of them and they'd always just point out how good each other looked, which mm-hmm. you could say like, Oh, that's so nice. But like in a way of like physical, like, Ooh, I saw you lost weight or like, they like comment on each other's um Instagrams and like yes abs like I see your mm-hmm. abs like yes thigh gap like I see your thigh gap yeah. or they'd be like oh my god I can't believe you like never work out like I wish I was you and I'm just sitting there like we're just all different like I know that everyone's body is different so like I could literally do the same thing that you know Victoria's doing over here, who is not the name of someone that was made up, but I can do the same thing Victoria's doing. I'm not going to look like her most likely because we don't have the same body and like, we're not made the same way. But I always thought it was so funny how it was like, yes, like I'm going to do that too. Like, yeah. Something that Rachel and I have talked about as far as aesthetics is that, and I know this happened for me. um, When I stopped of like, focusing on and really obsessing over purely aesthetics because a lot of the times that's just what you do as a dancer you become obsessed with aesthetics Mm -hmm. and I just focused on 
fueling myself properly, eating properly, focusing on performance and focusing on skills, aesthetics followed. And like mm. now I am much healthier than I was in college. My body fat, for, like my whole body composition changed. I'm like, I'm more muscular now and I eat way more than I did mm-hmm. in college. So that's fun. <laughs> um, but like, you know, college, mm. I might've been, I was like 25% body fat and now I'm like 17% body fat. It's like, but I also like, I weigh more. And if I mm-hmm, weighed, mm-hmm. if I weighed what I do now in college with my college mindset, I would have flipped out because I would have yes. felt quote unquote heavy. But I didn't understand the notion of body composition and focusing on performance-based outcomes and focusing on like eating enough and giving my body the right food because we just weren't taught those things. We no. weren't. Because I always a big thing for me and Danielle is like her and I both have kind of we've gone through the like I want to try this kind of dietary thing and the big and like we've I think we both tried the was it whole 30 we both tried yeah. whole 30 and our bodies immediately were like this does not work for you and your schedules and how much yeah. you need a day <laughs> like literally I think we got to like Tuesday we were about to record a podcast episode and I was like Danielle I think I need to stop because I was like I I didn't consume enough calories to like because I it, it was during the spring, so in the spring I typically always have to teach like fuertes and more advanced jumps and leaps and turns and like so like six hours of teaching fuertes, you know, to like juniors and seniors. Like my body was well, like, you're not consuming just, enough to do this like extended intense type of dance right now. I just remember I was like starving, and so I did it because someone was like, oh, because I have a I have a genetic mutation that like can affect everything but specifically for me personally and my body attacked my digestive system and so um I've been dealing with like for the longest time I was dealing with digestive issues and that I have kind of gastritis and and all of these different like flare-ups until it took years and years and years for a doctor to finally figure out what it is that was wrong um and so someone suggested trying the whole 30 and I just remember being like constantly starving I also have low blood sugars like that just like didn't work well with me on a schedule teaching, you know, five dance classes a day. And it's just like so interesting. Yeah. To how people are like, Oh, we'll just do this. And like, you'll, you'll get fit and you'll feel so much better. And it's like, no, not for me. I would kind of take this elsewhere. Right. We're talking about like health and aesthetics and all this stuff right now, but like, honestly, any, any extreme that we go to is not going to be balanced. Like if you want Mm -hmm. to, be a high performer if you want to like make it to the top if you want to be the best of the best you are not going to have balance like that's just part of I think accepting that as well so I think you just have to really weigh out like what like how important is my health to me like and how can I define that for myself or what I want to achieve mm-hmm. um because if now for me, like I was a, I was a three, four season athlete. Like I was constantly going around the clock. Um, could I have kept doing that? Yes, possibly. But like, to me, that wasn't my idea of health, right? If I wanted mm-hmm. to get to the best of the best and I had to compensate in some way, shape or form, then I had to be okay with that. And I had to be willing to do that. Um, and I think every individual is going to be obviously very different, um, you know, as opposed to what they're willing to do and what they want to do as well. But any extreme you go to is not going to be healthy. Any, professional athlete dancer performer you see out there um I don't think they have a good balance but that's Mm -hmm. what works for them because that's what they want to achieve so I think everybody has to also assess that on an individual level 
Well, and we've like Definitely. Rachel and I have talked about uh, on different episodes, like having a season to things. So, like, let's say that you are a dancer who needs to or wants to lose body fat, lean out, gain muscle, whatever the case is. You don't want to be doing that during audition season. That's not a good time for that. But if you know that you want to look a certain way during audition season, then you need to, one, I recommend working with a professional because there yes. is a way, there mm-hmm. is a way to diet without completely ruining or sabotaging your um, performance. It'll have a little bit of an impact, but there is a way to do it. Um, but you want to be in your dieting phases like months and months before audition season Mm. Um, and you want to go through dieting cycles you want to go for like x amount of weeks depending on your needs and whatever and then you want to take what we call diet breaks where you're just working on maintenance and having a very efficient metabolism means consuming a lot of calories without gaining weight and that number i'm not saying exact numbers because that number is going to be different for everybody Mm -hmm. depending on height whatever um but it's good if you can eat a lot of calories and not gain body fat because that means you have a very efficient metabolism and weight training and resistance training can uh and building muscle helps keep your metabolism higher um but it Mm. all requires a lot of planning and cycling um, and if you, and these are just like the, the seeds I want to plant and the things that I want dancers to think about and for like, whatever, let's say like next audition season, um, mm-hmm. if you know that you want to look a certain way or feel a certain way by next audition season, you should probably start now, just sit down with a professional or at least like sit down with yourself and say like, this is what I want to look like. These are my goals. And then perhaps seek out a professional and come up with a plan of like how you can get there and what the healthiest way to achieve it is. And you want to do it the healthiest way possible so that you can sustain it. And so that you can perform past 30 and you know, whatever you want to do. Absolutely. Injured or sick. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. That brings us to our next section, which we like to do from time to time, which is a tip of the week. We kind of just want to leave our listeners with just like something simple that they could just try for this week or to, you know, or, going to next week to kind of just make things better. Um, And for me, I want to say my tip would be that your, your body's different. What works for the person next to you may not work for you. And that may be the same thing, even within your own family. Um, What works for my brother's body may not work for my body and what works for my sister's Mm -hmm. body may not work for, you know, my body. So be kind to yourself as you learn what your body does and needs. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I, I, definitely second that and then I just want to kind of turn it over to Jesse and Rachel Jesse was kind of giving us some tips before but just yeah something to really either think about or something that could almost be implemented right away if someone was like well what do I do if you know what can I do now I would say start to Mm -hmm. define your own version of what healthy is right because health Mm -hmm. does look different on everybody so maybe Mm -hmm. for me healthy is being able to have a piece of cheesecake three times a week because that's what I like and if that's going to keep me you know mentally and emotionally healthy there too then that's what it is and that's my version of health right on top of all the other Mm -hmm. things that I'm doing but start to really pick that apart for yourself and say all right well what is this 
healthy version of me, whether it be I'm dancing or not or teaching, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. What does that person look like? What does that person do? What do they eat? And all these other things and really start to try and figure that out for yourself and then start to implement those, you know, don't just make it words, start to make them actions as well. So defining your own version of health for you, not what everybody else is expecting of you. And piggybacking mm-hmm. off of that, knowing, or at least trying to figure out what your priorities and values are so that you can then ask yourself if the habits that you currently have are helping or hurting what you are saying your priorities and values are. They need to match because if your habits don't match, then you're not going to get the outcome that you desire. If you want to be a performer full-time, your habits need to match that. If you want to go into education, your habits need to match that. Like whatever your long-term goal is, um, either know it or start to take the steps to figure it out. And then you can kind of backtrack from there and really put those habits in place getting like 1% better every day and working towards that goal. Well, that's it for us. The curtain is closed in this episode, but we hope that you will join us next week. And every week after that. Episodes come out every Thursday. We want to take this time right now to thank our guests for joining us for this week's episode. And we also want them, Rachel and Jesse, like tell us where the people can find you on social media. We want them to be able to get in touch with you. Well, yes. Jesse and I both run Habitual Health Podcast. So you can find Habitual Health Podcast, iTunes, Spotify, all that fun stuff on Instagram. I, Rachel, am on Instagram as well. Uh, you can find me at, at MindMuscleMVMT. And then Jesse. I am at Rooted underscore Performance on Instagram. And I also have a dance teacher shenanigans page dance nyc underscore follow one follow both follow them all we'll see you there <laughs> yeah and we'll be sure to uh for our listeners we'll be sure to connect all of their instagrams on a post for this week as we post this week's mm-hmm. episode you can find them and you can also listen to their podcast we're even going to do uh you'll find me and danielle on one of their episodes coming up mm-hmm. yeah yeah and like we said as we get closer to release date, we'll post all of the information to find the podcast, to find them, and all the good stuff. Sounds good. Um, and then you guys all know you can find us on your favorite podcast app. Please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We are at Point PYT on all platforms. I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. And I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. See you next week on Point Your Toes, the adventures of an NYC dance teacher. <laughs>